You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. Later in the program, WFHB environmental correspondent Zero Rose continues his conversation with Hank Duncan, Bloomington's bicycle and pedestrian coordinator. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin reports on how the Bloomington City Council voted down a trash fee increase. But first, your local headlines. The Monroe County Council meeting on June 13th began with a public comment. Greg Alexander spoke on behalf of pedestrians wanting to access the Monroe County Public Library. He asked the council to petition the county planning department for a more accessible entrance into the library while construction is underway on the sidewalk outside. So instead of building a temporary sidewalk, they're going to wait one year, maybe two years, possibly three, probably not three, right? We're going to wait for that sidewalk. So we've got an IOU as a pedestrian transportation facility. An IOU is a very usable pedestrian transportation facility. People are walking in the dirt. People are taking that long trip around. People are walking in the, in the parking lot for no reason um, and in the driveway, sharing driveway with cars that just came off of Florton Pike. So when there's going to be construction, that driveway is going to be torn up. 100 foot of that driveway that they just built is going to be torn up. Are we expecting that maybe for six months or a year there will be no driveway access here? No, they're going to work very hard to maintain driveway access. But at MCPL, the pedestrian closure has already begun. It's not even that hard of a problem. If you just look at it, the grade will change. But right now, the grade is level at two different places they could build an appropriate walkway. It would cost almost nothing. They have spent so much money on this project already. Anyways, I'm coming to you guys because this body paid for about half of the library's construction costs. And this body also funds the um, county planning department. County planning has a responsibility to review site plans for pedestrian connectivity. They cannot be accepting IOUs in lieu of ADA mandated accessible routes. They need to know that you have their back on this. And the other thing, you need to make sure the library knows this is not an uncorrectable problem. We could build an appropriate sidewalk tomorrow. It is not hard to do that. Thank you. The council also announced that the Justice Fiscal Advisory Committee will be meeting on June 29th via Zoom and on the third floor of the Monroe County Courthouse at 4.30 p.m. For updates on JFACT meetings, visit their website or Facebook page for the Justice Fiscal Advisory Committee. The Emergency Management Agency asked the council for $50,000 to help clean up the northwestern part of Monroe County. On March 31st, tornadoes swept through the Wolf Mountain and Texas Ridge Road area, causing debris and destroyed homes. With the $50,000, the Emergency Management Agency would supply dumpsters for cleanup. We had 10 houses completely destroyed, 
we had 10 majorly destroyed and uh, that causes a lot of debris and that needs to be picked up. So uh, with the commissioner's permission, we received the permission to get uh, low off dumpsters from K&S and uh, to help lay down to the residents to help them pick up the debris. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, and that's still going on. We do, we are collecting the, we are starting to collect the dumpsters uh, starting this week. And we have collected a couple already. And uh, it's not a daily cost. It's just whenever they get dumped, whenever they get uh, dumpsters filled up and we call KNS or the homeowner calls KNS and they pick them up and that's when the charge is. Um, and uh, we did apply for a PA, public assistance with FEMA and the Indian Department of Homeland Security. And uh, we just had our briefing today. So that's in process and that'll help, that could possibly help uh, recoup some of the costs, portions of the costs. The council approved a motion to continue the Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative in Monroe County for the 2023-24 grant year. The program is completely funded by the Indiana Department of Correction and helps create alternatives for securely detaining youth. Our county has been involved in this initiative since 2014, and I was kind of going through my head about how much grant money we received since that time, and we're close to a million dollars that we've brought into the county to help provide services. And the the purpose of uh, detention alternatives is to keep our kids in our community, right, and to, to provide any services that we can safely in the community that keeps them at home and um, provides intervention so that uh, they make it on a, on a better path. And we keep kids out of institutions uh, for as long as possible and hopefully you know, for uh, the vast majority of kids forever that they, that they never have to enter that. Um, so this grant helps us do that. Um, we provide, uh, the first part of it is the 15,000. It's kind of provides for coordination of services, helps with some administrative costs, helps with some software, some training, um, things like that. Uh, The second piece of it is really that programming piece. All of those interventions and services that we're able to partner agency with in our community, partner with agencies to provide in our community, um, like Girls Inc., like Centerstone, like The Warehouse, Mm -hmm. um, and places like that. So uh, we would love uh, your support to be able to continue on with this grant and have it appropriated and spend the money out. The Monroe County Council will meet again on July 11th. Up next, local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin reports on how the Bloomington City Council voted down a trash fee increase. We turn to Askins for more. Bloomington Council votes down specific trash fee hike but agrees increase is needed. On Wednesday, Bloomington City Council voted down a proposal from Mayor John Hamilton's administration to increase monthly trash cart pickup fees by at least 58%. The tally on the vote was three to five. Dave Rollo was absent. Voting in favor were Matt Flaherty, Kate Rosenbarger, and Isabel Piedmont-Smith. 
An amendment to the proposal to increase the fees, but by a smaller amount, also failed. The amendment failed on a three to four vote. Jim Sims abstained. Voting in favor of the amended proposal, which was sponsored by council member Sue Scambaluri, were Scambaluri, Ron Smith, and Susan Sandberg. That made six different council members who cast a vote in support of at least some increase in trash cart fees. Steve Volan can be added to the number of council members who support an increase because he co-sponsored an amendment with Matt Flaherty to increase trash cart fees by even more than the administration's proposal. Flaherty and Volan contemplated putting forward their amendment, but in the end did not. Factoring into Flaherty's decision not to move his own amendment was some uncertainty expressed by Public Works Director Adam Wason about the number of each cart size that the city currently has in service. The city offers three different cart sizes, 35-gallon, 64-gallon, and 96-gallon. The bigger the cart, the greater the monthly cost. Given that seven of eight council members present at Wednesday's meeting are on the record in support of some kind of increase, it's possible that the administration will put forward a different proposed increase when the council resumes meeting on July 26th. Next week's June 21st meeting is the final meeting before the council takes a break for the summer. There was no appetite among council members on Wednesday for postponing a vote on the price increase with the idea of eventually sorting out among themselves an increase they could all support. Volan put it like this, quote, I don't think that we have to keep this vehicle alive to encourage the administration to bring us a new ordinance for first reading the Wednesday after recess in late July, end quote. The current pricing scheme in local law is defined as a range for each cart size with the exact amount decided by the three-member Board of Public Works. Seats on the Board of Public Works are all appointed by the mayor. The current costs are set at the top of the range. Two reasons were given for the proposed increase. One is to cover higher costs, fuel, materials, truck maintenance. The other reason is to reduce the amount of general fund money that is used to make up the gap between the revenue generated by fees and the cost of providing curbside pickup of trash and recycling. On Wednesday, Wayson pegged the annual cost of providing curbside trash pickup as between $1.4 million and $1.5 million, and for curbside recycling pickup, somewhere between $1.1 million and $1.15 million. Based on the information provided by Wayson, the amount of general fund money that was used to cover curbside waste pickup, that is recycling and trash, in 2022 was $1.1 million. The amendment sponsored by Scambaluri was an option that was supposed to cover just increased cost, but not try to reduce the amount of general fund support. The amendment crafted by Flaherty and Volan, which did not get a vote on Wednesday, was an option designed to eliminate general fund support incrementally over a five-year period. Flaherty and Volan's amendment was different from the administration's proposal in two ways. First, it relies on giving each cart size a fixed price instead of a range, but spelling out the amount to be charged in each of the next five years. Second, it relies on the same cost per gallon for each cart size. The administration's proposal assigns prices in a way that increases the cost per gallon for each cart size. Flaherty, Volan, 
Piedmont Smith, and Rosenbarger analyzed the general fund's support of curbside trash and recycling collection as a subsidy for just those residents who receive the service, which is only residents of single-family houses and buildings with up to four dwelling units. Council members who don't support trying to eliminate general fund support for trash collection see it as a basic city service, which provides a public benefit, a sanitary city, which extends to those who don't receive the service. In today's feature report, WFHB environmental correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Hank Duncan, Bloomington's bicycle and pedestrian coordinator, about the aspects of becoming a bicycle-friendly community, the city's metrics and sources of data, room for improvement, and the special recognition of the seven-line bike lane by People for Bikes. We turn to Zero Rose for more. We have with us today Hank Duncan. He is the city's bicycle and pedestrian coordinator. And uh, we're going to talk about the uh, designation as a bicycle friendly community. Um, you want to uh, let our listeners know uh, kind of what that is. And uh, we've been designated a few different years here at different levels. And I guess we're what we're recently at the gold level. Yes. So the bicycle, the bicycle friendly communities is an award given out by the League of American Bicyclists um, simply to encourage cities, counties, other municipalities to push forward uh, bicycle friendly policies. They have a few different criteria that goes into each application. Uh, one aspect is the engineering, you know, what infrastructure do we have? One aspect is the equity. How do we promote equitable facilities and equitable cycling and transportation around Bloomington? Um, encouragement, what incentives do we offer residents to bike around? Um, education, how do we educate folks on, one, the rules of the road, but two, educating drivers on how to safely drive and coexist with cyclists. So those are just a few of the categories that go into each application. Um, Bloomington was recently named a gold level bicycle friendly community. And we are one of 36 communities in the nation to be named a gold level community. And then there are also five other communities that were named platinum, which is a level above gold. So there are hundreds of communities that are either a bronze level or a silver level, silver level, or even honorable mention. But Bloomington is at the upper end of those communities who have applied for this award. And I think there was some sort of award for the uh, what is it, the seven line? Yes, that was a separate award. Uh, People for bikes, which is a another nonprofit organization that supports cycling 
as a mode of transportation around the, the U.S., they named the seven line one of the 10 best bike lanes uh, created in 2022. So the seven line was finally opened in late 2021, and uh, People for Bikes gave it some great national attention for its connection between the Indiana University campus, Bloomington's downtown, and the protection that it gives to cyclists along the way. And so um, what kind of improvements would be involved in uh, getting up to those higher uh, levels? I think, what is it, diamond and platinum? Yeah, absolutely. So gold, again, it's great to be awarded with a gold award, but that's not the end goal. There is platinum ahead of us. And then two steps ahead, which no city in the U.S. has reached yet, is diamond level. Um Essentially, it's improving on all of those criteria that I already mentioned, improving uh, the infrastructure we have in the city, more protected bike lanes, more multi-use paths, more low-stress, comfortable networks for cyclists to bike around town. When we think of a cycling population, um, we have one subset that is already out there cycling that are relatively confident and comfortable in their abilities. We have another subset on the whole other spectrum that probably might never get out on a bike or doesn't want to get out on a bike, and that's fine. But there is a huge middle ground there. It's about 60 to 70% of the population that is interested in biking, but concerned about it due to a number of reasons, specifically safety. So it's our job to get, especially that middle group who isn't out there now or wants to be out there more on a bike, out there in a low stress, comfortable, safe environment where not just the safety is high, but the perceived safety is high. So folks are able to get out, reduce carbon emissions, get some exercise and be able to transport by bike. And are there certain percentages of the population, any, any kind of goals like that within the program or, or one of the uh, assessment data points of of what gets you scores you more points or something like that yeah so in terms of specific points and data it's there's nothing really specific in there it's a lot it's very overarching um but one big point that that as a city we need to improve on is the percentage of people who commute by bike daily um i believe in bloomington it's around four to five percent but there are other cities that have that platinum award, say like uh, Boulder, Colorado, or Davis, California, or Madison, Wisconsin, where those numbers are upwards of 10, 12, or 15 plus percent. And again, it's on the city to promote this type of transportation, build an infrastructure for it, educate the public on why it's good for them and good for society to do it, and then see if those numbers can increase. And is there any uh, particular entity that's to do with the uh, assessing that data where you guys are kind of getting your stats? So most of the stats come from the census. So uh, we use the 2020 census for most of our data um, if not all of it, I'm trying to think of any other source and I can't really think of it right now. But um, from what I remember, in the application, we use the 2020 census 
for percentage of people who bike and walk to work, um, population of Bloomington, and we also have uh, bike counters, bike and pedestrian counters around the city where we can capture the daily amount of bike ped traffic. Uh, the most busy counter is naturally on the B line over by the convention center, where daily we have about 13 or 1400 folks going across it. And in the summer times, we have upwards of 2000 to 2500 people going across it. So those are counters that really tell us where people are and when people are going there. Uh, again, that's not the only county counter we have, but that is by far the busiest one. And is that a, a sensor? Yeah, so it is an induction loop um, in the asphalt there. So when people walk over or bike over, it can tell who's who, whether you're a pedestrian or a cyclist, and it just puts you in one of those two categories and puts you in the chart. Hmm, interesting. And so uh, does this uh, designation or the numbers that it adds up to affect anything like the climate action plans of the city? Um, is it a category that's being tracked as far as improving the stats toward uh, climate change mitigation? Yeah, uh, that, that's no question. Um, so one goal in the city's climate action plan and comprehensive plan is to increase the amount of Bloomington residents who bike to work and bike as their main form of transportation. Again, right now it's only about four or 5%. Um, and I think the goal by 2030 is to make it, I believe it was 7%. So there is definitely some work to be done. Again, we are coming up and constructing this infrastructure to get people out there in a safer environment, but it's also on us to go out to schools, um, communities to educate them on why biking is beneficial. Safe, Safe Routes to School is a major organization in the US and they're, they're, that is just one of many things that we could do and do better to encourage folks to bike around Bloomington. And do you see anything in the way or what would you consider the major impediments to the type of improvements? I mean, what, what, are, what, are the, uh, kind, what is the kind of next level to go to? A, a few more major arteries? Sure. I mean, so in terms of infrastructure, I think Bloomington is doing a, in terms of all the different categories that I mentioned, Bloomington is doing a better job with infrastructure than the other categories. I think there are still there are still ways to go with safe infrastructure for cyclists around Bloomington, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential for the encouragement, putting out incentives for people to bike, education, uh, educating drivers on how to drive safely, um, educating riders on where to ride, how to get a bike, how to maintain your bike. Uh, there there are some innate barriers to cycling. One being safety, I think the main one being safety, and that perceived safety needs to rise up a lot for that biking population to increase, but also cost, where some folks think that biking is an expensive mode of trans transportation, but when you, when you are truly replacing a car with a bike as your main form of transportation, your household transportation costs fall tenfold, plus some. Um, I think an average 
new car costs about $26,000 these days. And an average new e-bike um, costs about $2,500. Um, then you add in insurance, maintenance, um, any kind of repairs, and those costs keep widening and widening and widening. And it's clear that if you are not just wanting to be environmentally conscious, but if you want to save money and have more disposable income uh, for other facets of your life, cycling is an incredibly efficient way to get around. Indeed, indeed. Well, I, I think that'll uh, cover it for uh, this encounter today. And uh, appreciate you uh, filling us in on the details of that. Yeah, of course. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. Up next, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment on the WFHB Local News. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here is today's featured animal. Dolce is a Carolina dog, about a year and a half old. She came to the City of Bloomington Animal Shelter with over 60 other dogs who were housed in a very small home. In the six weeks she has been at the shelter, she spent most of her time terrified and pasted up against her kennel door. Dolce was never able to meet other people while in her home, which affected her socialization process, which should have occurred when she was a puppy. As a result, it will take her a very long time to trust humans to no fault of her own. Shelter staff and volunteers have worked hard to build a bond with her and thankfully, she has started to trust them a bit. She is making progress little by little. This young, fluffy gal will now seek out affection once she's gotten to know a person. She needs help with leash training and understanding that the world isn't so scary after all. The shelter is looking for patient and loving people to adopt their Carolina dogs and help them get to know a different life. If you think you might be the person Dolce is looking for, please reach out to the City of Bloomington Animal Shelter. If you're interested in adopting today's featured pet, you can learn more at our websites, goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. With the 4th of July just around the corner, it is important to be mindful of how fireworks may affect household pets. Flashing lights, loud noises, 
and the smell of fireworks can scare dogs who might display anxiety by howling, barking, trembling, or with frantic behavior. According to the American Kennel Club, Independence Day is largely believed to be the day when the highest number of dogs run away. However, precautions can be taken to help make an animal more comfortable during fireworks season. First, keeping pets inside while fireworks are being launched will help prevent them from running away or running towards danger. It is advised not to take dogs to fireworks shows or to leave them outside. Ensuring that your pet has a proper ID, such as a collar with your contact info, a microchip, and a GPS device will help a pet's chances of being returned if they escape. Taking a dog for a long walk with a secure leash before the sun sets is also advisable. At home, creating a safe haven for a dog can also be helpful. A quiet space away from windows, such as a basement or a larger closet, can help minimize the sights and sounds of fireworks. Leaving a fan, TV, or radio on can also help mask the sounds of the fireworks. If your pet's anxiety is severe, it may be helpful to book an appointment with your vet well in advance of the holiday to discuss anti-anxiety medication. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.